The word of the Lord from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. That's how we began Lent. And it's a theme that you find here and there throughout Scripture. Both Abraham and Job describe themselves as mere dust and ashes, and that's more than just poetic language. On your own, you are dust. That's what happens to a human being, and it's really rather mind-boggling. All the intricate mechanisms of the body, all the different parts and all the delicate systems, the nerve endings, the heart and brain— They all return to dust. All the sensations, emotions, memories, experiences, ideas, skills, and expertise, all of that becomes a few pounds of dust that can fit in an urn the size of a flower vase. If you pour it out on the ground, it won't look different from other dust because it really isn't different from other dust. If you spend the immense amounts of money extracting the elements in that dust, You can sell what you mine for maybe a couple of dollars. If you want a sense of futility, spend some time reflecting on the question, what's the difference between you and a pile of dust? The answer would appear to be time. And it only goes in one direction. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. It's sort of a fascination to me that something so complex as a human being returns to something so simple and worthless as dust. If that's all there is to it, how do you even live? There'd be a fair bit of despondency because whatever you might become ends in dust. There'd be desperation because the thought of being reduced to dusty nothingness with no choice in the matter that is simply more horrifying the more you think about it. There'd be a constant pursuit of distractions and pleasure just so you didn't think about it. There'd be an overwhelming selfishness because you've got to look out for you in the time that you have and you've got to do what you can to keep yourself alive. That's why the elements in your body might only be worth a dollar or two. But the intact parts of your body, they can sell for millions if you play your cards right. I think this explains a lot of the quiet desperation, the frantic happiness, the savagery that you see around the world today. It's hard to find joy in a world that is filling up with dust. It's difficult to wrap my head around the idea of returning to dust. It's probably the same for you, either because you're thinking about it or working so hard not to think about it. I'm not sure how much of that is that it seems so preposterous, and how much it's that it's so disturbing that you don't want to think about it at all. 
I'm guessing that as we get older and less bulletproof, it's shifting from one to the other. Now, if it's nearly inconceivable that a human being returns to dust, then it's totally unbelievable that man began that way. Against the current popular notion that man started out as a simple organism in a primordial ooze puddle and managed to sprout arms and legs over time, God says, hold my beer. Actually, he declares in Genesis 2, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Creature isn't really the best translation, I think. Rather, man became a living soul. God made man out of dust. I note that when the occasional mad scientist makes the news for trying to create life on his own, he doesn't start out with a cup of dirt because even if all the ingredients are there, getting from there to a living creature is just inconceivable. But more to the point, then, what's the difference between man and dust? It's not time after all. It's God's breath. It's the life that God breathes into a man. If you want to be alive, if you want to stay alive, you want to be where God breathes. You want His life. It really couldn't be more simple than that. If you want to stay alive, be where God breathes. Ever since Genesis 3, sinners have been famous for getting this wrong. They get the basic idea that air and breath are good for the body. If you want to keep the body going for another day, keep inhaling and exhaling. There's a reason why plastic shopping bags come with a warning about suffocation and why scuba divers will tell you that it's better to go into the water with an oxygen tank than a millstone. So no one is going to take God's gift of air and say, eh, thanks, but no thanks, I'm going to live without this. At least, not for very long. And even though we live in a world of choice and people seeking alternatives in everything, I don't know of anyone who's saying, let's explore other options to oxygen. A steady diet of O2? That's the only way to live. Now, as God provides oxygen so that the body might live and breathe, he breathes life into us, body, mind, and soul, so that we might live forever. But while sinners understand the danger of cutting off their oxygen supply, they are hell-bent on depriving themselves of the life that God would give them forever. They run off from his presence for this sin or that one, sometimes because they convince themselves that they needed to live, sometimes because they just want to lash out and be rebellious. They believe that disobeying God leads to freedom, or they rationalize that their ways are far more sensible than the Lord's. Then they make a total mess of things. They're always unhappy with a troubled conscience. And when things go ultimately wrong, there's always a reason for it that has nothing to do with the fact that they're rebelling against God. Now, none of this should be a surprise. The Psalms declare, All look to you, O Lord, to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. 
When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So when you say, snatch up God's gifts of air and food, but run away from his righteousness and grace, or remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. Look around in this post-Christian age. Despite all the progress and innovation and discoveries by mankind, is the world a better place? Do you get a sense of peace and contentment, of safety and security during this most prosperous time in history? The anxiety and trouble you see is what you get when mankind tries to hide from the face of God, live without the breath of God, and then desperately runs from the truth of the returning to dust. I've heard many look around in our current day and say, I don't know how this could get any worse. It could. Truth be told, it has been worse before. In fact, there was a day when sinners did more than try to live without the breath of God. There was the day that they made God to stop breathing. They had the opportunity because God became flesh. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he had fingers and toes, heart and lungs. In his humanity, he submitted to needing food and air. The God of heaven and earth became vulnerable to live among sinners. Wasn't a field trip either. He came to reverse the curse of sin, to defeat the enemy called death for sinners. Wherever he went, he did battle. Where sin blinded, he restored sight. Where sin deprived of food, he fed the hungry. Where sin robbed of breath, he raised the dead. Christ became flesh to serve sinners. And while many were happy to snatch up what gifts of his they wanted, eventually on a Friday, the bulk of them elected to take the grace-filled, miracle-working Son of God and get rid of him through the horrid act of crucifixion. As that torment wanes, we hear in the Gospel of Luke, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. That's the solution of sinners. Rather than rejoice in the life-giving breath of God, choke the life and the breath out of God, even if it means that they will die eternally. If there's ever a time for God to throw up his hands and forsake the world, you think it would be then. But the truth is just the opposite. God has become flesh to be forsaken by his Father on behalf of the world. As ill-willed sinners seek to destroy the Son, the Son bears their sins on the cross in their place for their salvation. 
He is vulnerable, but he is not helpless. He submits to the cross and breathes his last because he is suffering what they, what you face as the outcome of your sin. For the sake of sinners, Jesus breathes his last and he is laid in a tomb. As we chanted in the psalm before, he is laid in the dust of death. But stricken, smitten, afflicted, and killed, he remains the Son of God. He does not see corruption. He does not return to dust. Instead, he rises on the third day. He seeks out his disciples in the locked room, appears to them, and he breathes. He breathes on them. He breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Lord who breathed his last breathes again. He breathes forgiveness and life into his repentant people. And where God breathes life into man, the end is not dust. The end is eternal life. Do not forget that the word made flesh, who dwelt among us, died and rose. Do not forget that he preserves his word among us. Do not forget that all scripture is inspired by God, literally is breathed by God. To hear God's word of life in Christ is to receive his breath of life. Know this as well. Your sins have consequences, and you vividly see the price of them at the crucifixion of Jesus. They may seem small and harmless and useful, kind of like that plastic shopping bag until it covers the nose and mouth. Your sins suffocate your faith and leave you returning to dust. Ponder with wonder that the Son of God pays the price. He gives you hope. He delivers you from desperation, from distractions and endless selfishness because he promises to deliver you to everlasting life. Should the Lord tarry, your body might return to dust and ashes for a while. But the Lord has a good record of forming man from the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. He rose again on the third day, and he will raise you too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.